Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. Are you ready for the word this morning? I pray that there's been a growing excitement for the word of the Lord. If you have your Bible, open it with me. To Romans chapter 8, once again, if you were here last night, you know that we were in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, as a matter of fact, has become one of my most precious passages, chapters. Um, It it does that. For man shall not live by bread alone. There's something about the word when it feeds you, when it actually becomes sustenance to your soul, where it keeps you alive and it keeps you sane in certain seasons. Where, where everything about the conditions or, or the circumstances of life are wanting to, to lead you to a place of breaking, uh, to a place of insanity, where you become like the rest of the world and you turn to other things other than God himself. You turn to other things other than the word to find your strength. You turn to other things. You see, but Paul says even when we suffer, we don't suffer like the world because we have real hope. And man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. I pray this morning that there would be a word that would feed you deep in your soul. That there would be a word that would be food in season. For I have food that you know not of, Jesus says in John 4. There's something that's feeding me. I live to delight in my Father's will. And in order to do my Father's will, I have to know what he is saying. I only do those things that I see him doing and say those things that I hear him say. As we look to Romans chapter 8 this morning, I'm also going to ask you to grab a passage in 1 Kings chapter 18. And in Romans chapter 8... We're going to look at verse 23, and then we're going to look at verse 26. And in 1 Kings 18, we're going to look at verses 41 to 44. And just for a few moments, right, some of you who have been here the past two nights, you're thinking to yourself, that's impossible. (laughs) For a few moments. (laughs) But for the next few moments... My father-in-law told me I had until 2, 2.30. I actually have to get out of here before then, so rest well. Uh, be at ease. We have to catch a flight this afternoon. Uh, but for the next few moments, I believe that our subject of consideration is going to be it's time to look again. It's time to look again. In this hour of history, the Lord is awakening a groan on the inside of his people. It's not a groan even as we considered last night that Habakkuk had where he was simply surveying all of the wickedness that seemed to saturate the moment or the day or the hour that he had been given responsibility for. I believe that it was put beautifully just a few moments ago. Our moment is called now. The day that we have to be faithful to God in is called now. The moment in history that you and I have been chosen for, we are alive by divine assignment. It's not an accident. It's not an accident. It's not an accident that you and I are here, that we are alive for the time 
that we have right now for the things that are happening throughout the world. And the global landscape has presented a stage. And God is inviting sons and daughters onto the stage of history to align with his purposes in this hour, in this moment, in the day that is called today. We are receiving a beautiful invitation to give our lives to God and to be radically aligned to his agenda right now in the world's situation. And there's a groan that's being awakened on the inside of God's people. There's an invitation to intercession that is being quickened on the inside of those that bear the spirit. We understand that one of the ways that God participates in the narrative of the global story is through the invitation to intercession. As they watched Jesus live, they rallied alongside of him and they said, teach us how to pray. They watched a man who had opened the eyes of the blind. They watched a man who had worked miracles, who had powerful wonders. They watched a man who had signs. He was a witness of the power of God and his desires to a broken creation. They watched a man who seemed to be miraculous. He astounded them, even in the way that he communicated at the end of Matthew 7, which is considered to be the greatest sermon that's ever preached. You could read it in possibly 10 to 15 minutes. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, there is no greater sermon than Jesus preaching himself. And they said at the end of Matthew 7, we've never heard a man speak the way that this man does. He has so much authority, unlike the scribes of our day. But there was one thing when they rallied alongside of Jesus that they knew they wanted. There was one thing that as they watched him live and the evidence of his life provoked them into asking him for. And they said, we want you to teach us how to pray. I like to say it this way. After watching his real life, they realized that his power source was his prayer life. And the thing that they wanted from him was his prayer life. Once they watched him live because he gave them access. Once they watched him live because they had intimate proximity. Once they watched him live, the thing that they decided was the most provoking about who he was, was his prayer life. They wanted Jesus' prayer life. But does anybody want yours? When they watch you live, do they want your business strategy? Do they want your relational influence? There are many things that people can glean. Do they want to know how to preach like you, prophesy like you? Do they want to know how to work wonders or miracles like you? All of these things were amazing, but the thing that was most amazing to the men that had the closest vantage point to really see what Jesus was all about. They said, if there's one thing that we can have after evaluating your whole life, we know exactly what it is. I want your prayer life. Would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus said, when you pray, 
pray this way, our Father who is in heaven. We realize this Matthew 6, 9 and 10 and 11 and 12. When you pray, pray this way, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. There's none like you. You see, it's a family affair, which is why he says, Father, we're the king's kids. We're sons and daughters. It's a family affair. It's a relational dynamic. He's a divine community. He's father and son and spirit. He's a divine family all in himself. And we've been invited into a new experience of family and now a new expression of family where the Trinitarian fellowship is our reference point. He is family. And Jesus says, you have to know this when you pray. Pray our father. Holy is your name. Hallowed be thy name. There's nobody like you. You are other. You are just other. Other than what? Other than everything. You are other. You are other than anything I've ever seen. All of the other things I know. There is no reference point that is equal to the beauty, the splendor, the majesty, the power. Creatures with wings and eyes and faces that have seen him since the very moment of their existence have not stopped crying out. And they've been saying one thing, covered with eyes, they've been saying one thing, holy, holy. They've not gotten bored of saying it. They've not wanted to move on to the next thing. They've not gotten tired of singing that one song, right? Some of us are like, man, like, can't we sing something else? Like, like, what is going on? Like, man, like, don't y'all know anything else? Like, haven't you been practicing lately? Like, man, like, can we move through to the next song? Like that song, I've been tracking it at seven minutes and 13 seconds. Like, like, what are we doing in here? Creatures, since the very moment they were created, since the very moment their existence began, have been beholding him and in seeing him there's only been one response they have been on fire from the moment that their eyes have laid eyes on him their hearts have erupted with a singular song they haven't thought about something else they haven't gotten bored with what he's allowed them to see they haven't gotten weary in the place of their beholding oh how often if we are not careful do we grow weary do we get tired do we get stale do we get bored does it just become formalities there is no next thing. He is the main thing. And we don't gather for formality's sake. I'm not here to run through an order of service or to click down the clock. I'm here to see him. I'm here to touch him and to be touched by him. And the Lord is rearranging the days that we are living in to where the presence of God will once again take center stage where the presence of God will once again be our priority and our pursuit, where the presence of God and rallying people around a presence and not an order of service. And they said, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You're holy. There's nobody like you. You rule. You are exalted. But he said, your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the invitation to intercession. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And in this hour, the spirit is awakening a groan unto God's desires. Paul says, we're not left out in the dark. We're not left to our own fleshly resources. We just didn't get saved, get born again, and now we're just doing the best that we can trying to figure things out. And even worse than just trying to figure things out, we're not mimicking the world system. We're not trying to do it like they're doing it because we understand that the system of the age, it is fading, it is passing, it is leaning in towards judgment and eternal eviction. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. So we're not just trying to mirror or mock the world and we're not trying to be relevant. We don't have to be like them to provoke them. I would suggest to you that the more we are like them, the less provoking we are to them. But he says, when you pray, pray your kingdom come and your will be done. And in Romans 8 verse 23, we now gain insight that those of us who have the spirit that the spirit on the inside is groaning. And it's, it's actually burdened. It's living in a tension because it realizes that there is so much more laid against that great day of reconciliation. The day where our salvation will be in the fullest measure that God desires. Right? Yes, we have been saved. We are a born-again people. We are new creatures. We are a family of new creatures that God is now using to repopulate the nations of the earth. And yes, we're being conformed to the image of God's Son. And yes, we have a mission while we have been given a day that we call now in order to execute God's desires, which is the proclamation of the gospel unto all nations and people. Yes, we are understand that the hour is growing towards the day where no man will be able to work and the sky will crack and the king will come. We know, we know, but it's the spirit in us now that realizes everything that God has laid up against that great day, but also understands the current brokenness that we live in also understands how sin has saturated the world system, also understands how people are living under the tyranny of the powers of the air, the sway of the wicked one, like John would say in 1 John 5, 19, beloved, for we know that we are from God because we have been born again, but everyone who does not belong to God, even now the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. So the spirit is wrestling and groaning on the inside because as we look around, we see that things are broken and that they are not right. And there's a groan that God produces on the inside of his people where we give ourselves to the witness of the spirit on the inside for the things that we know God desires. Because in Romans 8.23, we find out that we are groaning because we have the Spirit. That the deposit of the Spirit, that God has put himself on the inside. 
that there is a divine, holy, powerful, fiery, and jealous work that is happening on the inside because our hearts have come alive and our hearts have been set on fire because we know God and we have access to the mind of Christ. And so we're not left out in the dark as we're looking at the rest of the world. But as we're looking at the rest of the world, because we have the mind of Christ, we know what it is that God wants to do. And here produces attention. Because the things that God is saying on the inside by the Spirit at times is not the things that we are seeing as we are surveying the land and the wickedness and the corruption and a sin-saturated system that the rest of the world is celebrating and even pushing forward. If you haven't realized it by now, there is a sin-saturated system that is being fueled by demonic agenda and the world is celebrating it and they are pushing it forward. But we have the Spirit. In Romans 8, 26, Paul says, and as a matter of fact, not only do you have the Spirit, but if you would be honest with yourself, at times we don't even know how to pray as we should. We don't know how to pray as we should. We get it. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done. If you don't know where to start, that's a great place to begin. Pray your kingdom come, your will be done. Let your kingdom hit the earth. Let your desires be manifested in the earth, on earth as it is in the heavens. But Paul says at times we're looking around. At times we're thinking about life and the circumstances that are going on. And if we're honest, we don't really know how to pray as we should. But he says you have the Spirit. And it's the Spirit on the inside with groanings and travailings and at times unintelligible speech that there's a travailing, there's a groaning, there's a longing that the Spirit births and awakens on the inside. He says you are a people that have the Spirit and even when you don't know by your own calculations or your own intellect through an evaluation, you don't have to depend on those things. You have the Spirit. And the Spirit is alive on the inside with God's desires. And yes, because of the Spirit, you are groaning. But the Spirit on the inside of you is groaning too. And the Spirit is groaning. And the Spirit is interceding for you. That's what Romans 8.26 says. The Spirit is groaning. There's longings, travailings. There's utterances that at times are without uh, intelligible speech. There's tears. There's sorrow. Blessed are those who mourn, who realize these aren't just like weirdos who are always sad. That's not what he's saying in Matthew 5. He's not saying blessed are you when you're just sad and down and depressed all the time. Mourning is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a condition that can only be birthed in you by God where a brokenness as you realize the corruption and you look around and you realize that things are not as right as God wants them to be. There's no way that you could be all right because when you look around, everything is not all right. 
And he says, blessed are you when you mourn, when God's sorrow actually comes crashing into your heart and you carry the burden of the Lord where you allow what's on his heart and a desire to tend to the burden of his heart to actually affect your real life in real time. And when Jesus was burdened, he came back from a time praying in the garden and in Matthew 26, 40, he looked at those who were closest to him and they had fallen asleep. And he said, couldn't you just tarry with me for one more hour? I know that the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. He said, I'm, I'm just looking for someone that would pray with me. Oh my God. I'm just looking for someone that would join me in the fellowship of my sufferings. I'm, 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 I'm longing for somebody to participate in my intercession. Right? Hebrews tells us that he is alive forever. The great intercessor. The great high priest. And he is now the one that ever liveth to make intercession. We need a return to the revelation of Jesus as the great intercessor so that we can see the importance of the invitation to intercession. And he says, could you not just pray with me for a little bit longer? Could you not just join me for one more hour? My, my heart is, is gripped and the burden that's been laid upon me and the things that I know that my father desires. Should we share with Abram the things that we are getting ready to do is what the three visitors said as they were considering moving on towards Sodom and Gomorrah. God has always been on the search for someone that would join into the burden of his heart. He's always been looking for the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the earth looking for a man or a woman that would get into the gap on behalf of the land. Oh, may the Lord raise up intercessors in this hour. The eyes of the Lord are searching. Couldn't you just pray with me for one hour? But I think that it's important to understand that we don't receive our instructions for intercession through our own evaluation of the world and its circumstances. We don't receive our instructions for intercession through Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. We don't need the highlight reel of news media in order to understand what it is that God is saying or possibly the way that he's leading his people to pray. You see, we're not praying in response to what's happening to the world. We have access to the mind of Christ. We are seated in heavenly places with Jesus. We understand that our king rules. He reigns. He hasn't forfeited the throne. And so we don't look this way, but we look this way to understand. Lord, what is it that you're saying? Because I have to know in the place of intercession that I am praying what he is saying. I'm not just praying what I'm feeling. I'm not just praying what the media is revealing and all of their narratives and agendas and all of their coercion and manipulation. You see, at times the news media is better at prophesying than we are. Because they understand 
that the things that they're saying are almost always not really happening. But if they'll just keep saying it long enough, eventually they will begin to see what it is that they have started to say. And they are prophesying doom and gloom and destruction. And over time, we are being conditioned, if we're not careful, to start manifesting what it is that we've been hearing. Even if it wasn't real in the beginning, it will over time become real. And they're committed to the process because they know that if they just say it long enough, if they just won't come off of it, if they'll just keep the agenda rolling, if they'll just keep pumping or channeling all of the nonsense that over time, what they wanted to see, even if they weren't seeing it in the moment, will eventually become reality. But we don't receive our instructions from surveying the land. We don't receive all of our inspiration unto intercession by all of these worldly sources or all of the other places and spaces and faces that are trying to prophesy doom and gloom. But we turn our eyes to the Lord. And in this hour, there's a beautiful invitation that God is issuing to his people to join him in intercession. To join him in the place of prayer. To know what it is that's on his heart and what he's saying. Do you know what he's saying? Do you know what he's saying? Do you know what he's saying? In an hour where there seems to be so much confusion and if you're not careful, all of the different outlets and sources and channels and platforms make God out to be bipolar. They make him out to have multiple personality disorder because he couldn't possibly be saying everything that everyone says he's saying at the same time. But there's an invitation for those of us who bear the spirit to join him as he tugs on our hearts, as he pulls us into the secret place. Then I get it, like, like intercession is something that's between us and God. It's something that's not fancy because it's not for the eyes of men in most cases. It's something that people often don't applaud. It doesn't build resumes. It doesn't grant you access in a worldly way oftentimes. I understand. It's not a gifting of sorts that people at times tend to esteem. But Jesus is calling. But Jesus is calling. And he's planting his desires deep on the inside. And even though we look to our left and to our right, and we see that things are broken, and we see that corruption is being celebrated, and we understand that devastation is saturating the land, we also understand that God has a desire. We also realize that God is still king. We also understand that our king still reigns, that he's still all-powerful, and we still have this burden on the inside to see the word of the Lord prevail in this hour of history. And he's awakening his desires on the inside where the challenge is what we begin to see and hear in here will contradict 
the things that we are seeing and hearing out here. But here we find the tension and the test. Because oftentimes, we don't join him in intercession for in response of what we're seeing and hearing in here. We bring into the secret place and we bombard the place of prayer with everything that we are seeing and hearing out here. And we want to continue to tell God all of the things that are going on out here rather than giving way and yielding to what it is that we are seeing and hearing in here. But he's awakening a people that are going to begin to respond to what it is that he's saying and what it is that we are seeing on the inside. And this is where we find traction with our passage in 1 Kings 18. Elijah, when he comes back down from the mount, having just seen fire come out of the heavens, having just been given the opportunity to stretch his life out over a dead nation. You see, the testing always happens in private so that the promotion can happen in public. Because if God can't trust you with the seeming no thing in private, we can pray for the big thing in public all day, but God is looking for the secret things where the heart is tested. And he says, Elijah, before I can trust you to stretch your life out over a dead nation, can I trust you in an upper room when nobody else is around to stretch your life out over a dead boy? Because Elijah, if you're only going to do it for the applause, then you're not doing it with the right motivation. And I can't trust you because there's going to be moments where the cheerleaders aren't around. There's going to be moments where the lights camera action is not around. But Elijah, if you'll climb up into a upper room and meet me in a higher place, and if I can trust you to stretch your life out over a dead boy, if you can be faithful in private over the life of one dead boy, then I can trust you out in public to climb to the top of the mountain and to meet me in a higher place, to cry out for fire, to stretch your life out over a nation. And when Elijah comes back down, he comes back down with a divine sense of being burdened. And he looks at Ahab in verse 41 of chapter 18 and he says, it's time for you to gather yourself and to begin your journey. For on the inside, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And Elijah is now challenged because he's living in an hour where drought and famine has saturated the land. But what he's seeing out here is not what he's hearing in here. You see, those of us who have the Spirit, we live in a tension that is problematic because we can't be okay. We're visionaries because God is visionary. In the last days, I'll pour out my Spirit your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Those of us who bear the spirit, it's problematic to have the spirit. Having the spirit doesn't make everything easier. Having the spirit actually makes things harder in some cases. 
because I can't do what the rest of the world is doing because there's an awakening to a groaning and a burden that I have on the inside. And I can't do what everybody else is doing and I can't go where everyone else is going and I can't align with the same way or sway that everyone else is given to. I'm living in a tension because I look around and I'm burdened and I groan because I know what God wants. And Elijah says, I'm hearing something on the inside. There's a desire that God has that's been awakened on the inside. And it's now causing me to hear something that I've never heard. It's causing me to see something that I've never seen. Oh Lord, I pray this morning that you would awaken a groan on the inside of your people and that you would quicken them deep on the inside to hear something that they've never heard. That you would quicken them on the inside to begin to see something that they've never seen. I thank you, Lord, for all of the challenge of what we see right now circumstantially around the world. But you're awakening intercessors, Lord, and inviting them into a visionary place to pray your will into a measure of manifestation in the earth in this hour of history. We're a people that know what God wants. And we groan because we know where the world is going, but we know what God wants And we're burdened because we know the sway of the wicked one, but we understand the desires of the Lord. And Elijah says, I hear. What do you hear? Do you only simply hear what the world is saying? Or has God's voice come alive on the inside of you? Are you seeing something that is foreign to what is happening right now in the world. We're not supposed to only be given over in a response-driven culture that if they can just show something or say something to generate enough hostility or momentum that they can drive culture the way that they want it to go. We're not given over to the response-driven culture. Our response is not to culture but it's to the king. And Elijah says, I know that there's drought in the land and I know that there's famine that abounds, but I'm hearing something. God is awakening people that are hearing something. I'm telling you, God is awakening people that are hearing something and the hearing is becoming bothersome and it's becoming problematic because the hearing is actually redefining my life. And the hearing is actually redirecting my life. Because at least Elijah had the right response to the sound of rain on the inside. Elijah just wasn't hearing or seeing, but he understood that what he was hearing and seeing was supposed to drive him to the place where he was now praying what he was hearing and seeing. Hearing and seeing alone is not enough. Because revelation is not unto the building of some resume where we just now fancy in being able to communicate, oh, well, this is what God is saying. Revelation is not unto resume building. But revelation should drive us to intercession. When God's desires are revealed, we should join him in the place of prayer. Could you not tarry with me if I revealed to you the things that are on my heart? And Elijah allows revelation to drive him to intercession. And once again, he climbs up on the top of the mount. 
And he puts his head between his knees and he puts his face down to the ground. You see, because sometimes we have to eliminate all of the distractions that are seeking to derail our faithfulness in the place of prayer according to the things that God has revealed. Because if we are not careful, we will know what God says, but we will enter in, but we will not be able to linger as long as Jesus desires Because over time, we begin to see something or hear something, and enough of a challenge or a contradiction gets created to where we abandon. We willingly walk away from. We forfeit the place of intercession. Thank God that Gabriel revealed to Daniel in chapter 10, on the first day that you started praying, I released an answer in your direction. On the first day that you started praying, provision was made. On the first day that you started praying, angelic assistance was released. On the first day that you started praying, insight and understanding from heaven had been released unto you. From the first day, Daniel, that you started praying. But then there was a war in the heavens. He says, and I was resisted for 21 days. But because you kept fasting and praying, at least this is the implication of the text, because you stayed faithful for 21 straight days, how many of us have ever spent 21 straight days praying about any one thing? It's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get derailed. It's so easy in our insta-scrolling culture to get bored looking at the same thing, giving our attention to the same thing over and over and over. But the implication of the text is, Daniel, because you stayed faithful in the place of prayer, God released assistance to me. This is Gabriel talking about a war in the heavens. And he says, Michael came. And now on the 21st day, everything that you started praying for on the first day, everything that was real the first day, because you stayed faithful in the process, that it did not get realized to you until the 21st day. But just know that it didn't actually take all 21 days for things to get released. It just took 21 days for things to get revealed. And Elijah went to the top of the mount and he got on his knees and he put his face down to the ground because sometimes we just have to get rid of all the distractions. Sometimes we have to go into the place of prayer holding on to a word from God. Sometimes we have to enter into intercession and refuse to be removed from the thing that we know that God has been saying. Because if I can just keep praying what I know God is saying, then eventually I'll begin seeing what I know God has been saying. And Elijah starts praying. And he's not just praying in vain to go through the motions. He's not just praying even because he knows it's what he should be doing, right? This isn't religious formality. It's not just the right response because he at least has to check the box to know, okay, I did it today or okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. He's not just praying in vain. How do I know that? Because he has his servant with him and he's telling his servant, go look for it. What? 
you think I'm just up here wasting my time? You think I'm praying about this just so that I can be satisfied to say that I prayed about it? I'm looking for something. I know that God has spoken something into me. I know that God has awakened something on the inside of me. You can almost see it and hear it in the interaction between Elijah and his servant. I'm not up here wasting my time. I didn't climb this mountain just to go through the motions. I'm not up here just for hollow, empty, religious activities. I'm after something. I know that God is faithful. I know that he's exalted his word above his own name. I know that when he releases a word, that it will not return unto him void. I know that when God says something, you can take it to the bank because he is not a man that he would lie. I'm after something because I know that I can be after something because I know what it is that God is actually saying. And he says, go look for it. And his servant comes back and he says, oh yeah, man, like, I, I get it, bro. Like, you really hear from God and all? I mean, like, you've been really on before? Like, like I've seen you, man. Like, when, when God gets you and, bro, you start flowing, like, man, like, like you've been on before. But I, I don't know how to tell you this, but there's nothing. There's nothing. Like, I get it. You, you spent all that time climbing this mount. You invested all that energy to separate yourself, to enter into intercession. I, I, I get it, man. Like, like, it's cool. And I came with you because... I believe in the way that God speaks to you. What other reason would I have to be on the top of a mount with you as you're praying in something that only you are hearing and seeing? What other reason, if I didn't actually believe that you heard from God, would I have to be up here? And not only do I have an investment in the way that God uses you, but I'm actually crazy enough to believe that if you start praying, something might actually happen. And Elijah says, great, then go look for it. And he comes back. And the first time, ah, bro, there's nothing. And Elijah says, then we have to keep praying. He didn't get derailed when the circumstantial evidence after a moment of intercession didn't produce the outcome that he knew he had committed himself to. You see, sometimes we need perseverance in prayer. Sometimes our challenge is not that we didn't hear right. It's not that we didn't see right. It's just that we didn't stay faithful in the right amount of time in order for the thing that God was desiring to actually be manifested in the measure that God desired. And Elijah says, okay, I know that we prayed once, right? And we understand that even Jesus prayed twice. He laid hands on a man and he said, turn and look, what do you see? And the man said, I see men as trees. And Jesus said, well, I guess we need to pray again then. If Jesus needed to pray again after laying hands on a man, then I think it's okay for you and me to give it another shot. I think it's all right for us to give it another go in the place of prayer if we don't see the right outcome that we desired the first time. And Elijah says, we're going to pray again. And he gets down to pray and he tells his servant, go look. And his servant goes a second time. Man, Elijah, there's nothing. We're going to keep praying. Because my circumstantial evidence is not God. 
God is God. And he governs over creation. And when he releases a word, you see what he's saying reveals his heart. It releases his desires. So if I know what he's saying, then actually I'm in the position of government to affect what's happening in creation. And if I'll just keep praying what it is that God is desiring over enough time, creation has to bend to the desires of the Lord. And Elijah says, we're going to pray again. And the servant goes a fourth time, and a fifth time, and a sixth time. And I love it because six is the number of man. It represents the work of the flesh, right? For all of our prophetic numerologists out there who understand numbers and all of the different ways that they influence dreams and visions and unctions and interactions, I myself too am given this way, so I don't say it in a comical way. Uh, but for all of our prophetic numerology people, the number six is the number of the flesh. And I'm glad that Elijah went beyond the boundary of the flesh to keep praying by the Spirit. For the flesh is weak, but the Spirit is willing. For the flesh has limitations, but God is limitless. And He has given us His Spirit. And I am grateful that we have the story of Elijah's life to understand that in the moment where we feel like we want to quit, in the moment where we feel like we've grown weary and we're tired, in the moments when we feel like we've gotten bored because nothing is actually happening, in the moments when we're challenged in order to realize God's faithfulness because we've been giving ourselves and giving ourselves and giving ourselves and it just doesn't seem like God's been doing anything or changing anything. Praise God that Elijah didn't stop on the sixth time. But he said, go look one more time. And his servant comes back and he says, Elijah, hey, hey, look up for a second. E Elijah, because I can only imagine Elijah's on the ground and he's going for it, man. Like, like, I know what God said. You know, I'm not going anywhere. I refuse to be removed. I, I've got to see it. God's got to have it. I'm giving my life to him. My life is in alignment with his agenda. I don't want anything else. There's nothing else to pray about. I've got to pray in what I know it is that God has been saying. And you can almost see it. Hey, Elijah. Hey, Elijah, look up for a second. I don't know how to tell you this, man. But while you've been... Over here praying, oh my, something over here has been forming. Elijah, look man, it might not look much, and it might not seem to be moving that fast, but Elijah, listen bro, while you've been interceding, God has been forming something. While you've been praying it out, 
God has been bringing it in. Uh, Elijah, I, I don't really know how to tell you. And, it, and it not necessarily, it hasn't gotten all the way to you or to where we are yet. But Elijah, listen, man, like while you've been going for it, something over here is taking shape. And Elijah, I know that you said that you were hearing a sound and that it was on the inside. But now something is beginning to happen on the outside. And Elijah, what you were seeing inside, God is now shaping outside. And Elijah, I'm glad that we didn't quit. I'm glad that we didn't walk away. I'm glad that we didn't climb back down the mount. I'm glad. I'm glad, Elijah, that we stayed steadfast and we persevered. Because Elijah, listen, had you not told me to go look one more time, had you not told me to go look again, we might have missed the hour of opportunity that God had presented to us. Had we not gone one more round, we might have gone without actually seeing God forming in real time the things that he desires. And it's not ultimately up to whether or not God is going to do it. Because God is going to do what he's going to do. The invitation is unto participation. God is going to do what he is going to do. But will we join him in what he is doing? Will we join him in the hour of opportunity, in intercession? May the Lord raise up watchmen on the wall in our nation, in this hour of history. Those who aren't governed by political agendas or the news media nonsense, those who aren't influenced by the American dream and all of the other allegiances to a world system, but may the eyes of the Lord actually find a faithful company to get in the gap on behalf of the land and pray in the cloud the size of a man's hand. Because I believe that God wants to bring the storm on our nation. I believe that God wants to unveil the beauty and the worth of his son that would shake our nation, that would bring revival to the church and awakening out in the streets. I believe that we are on the brink, we are on the precipice, we are on the threshold of a mighty move of God. I'm thankful for history books, but I don't wanna read history books the rest of my life to understand that God only did it behind us. But Elijah says, I've seen him move behind me, but I'm actually praying something in, in front of me, and I will not come off of it. I feel like God is awakening an invitation. And there's an invitation for us this morning as we've gathered, that it's time to go look again. Because some of us have grown weary. Some of us have grown weary because even though we know what God has been saying, we've not been seeing the effects, the consequences, the outcome. Some of us know that in a previous season, we had been apprehended by the word of the Lord, where my whole life seemed to have been given over and redefined 
by what it was that I knew God was saying and the things that I at least felt I was hearing for what it was that he was wanting to do. You see, Elijah got apprehended by the sound that was awakened on the inside and it redirected his life. He didn't just go wherever he wanted to go with the word, but he understood that there was a specific place that revelation was supposed to drive him and revelation was to drive him to intercession. What have you done with the word of the Lord? What have you done with the word of the Lord? Are you still climbing the mount? Are you still joining him in the place of intercession? Have you turned away? Has your attention waned? Has your heart grown calloused? Have you been hardened by the circumstantial evidence? Have you been conditioned by what's all happening out here? Or is your life still radically being apprehended by what you know you are seeing and hearing on the inside. You see, there's a problem for those of us that are visionary because we see what is, but we know what should be. And it should be because God wills it to be. And the tension that we live in is I know what's going on, but I also am aware of the groan. I know what's happening, but there's a quickening on the inside. I know what everyone else is celebrating and the way that the sway is pushing, but I've been gripped. I've been gripped. There's a painful ache. There's a groan. There's a longing. There's a travailing. Because God has apprehended me. And revelation drives me to intercession. Oh, could you join me for just one hour? My heart is burdened. Will you pray what I pray? Will you tend to the matters of my heart? Will you give yourself to me? For the eyes of the Lord are searching. And what faithful few will he find to arise in this hour? What faithful company will he be able to possess that will shed the information of the world and give themselves to the inspiration of the Spirit in intercession? What wild ones will take their place on the stage of history? to pray in the desires that are on God's heart. I believe we're on the brink of one of the greatest move of God we've ever known in human history. 
And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a spectator and watch it as it passes me by. But I want to respond to the invitation. And I want to be one that participates in intercession. I don't want to watch it pass me by, but I want to be one that is involved. I want to be one that is joined in. I want to be one that is awakened and alive on the inside. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.